good morning again. Good morning again. Man, I'm just so grateful for, uh, for everything that God is doing here. And uh, I just appreciate the worship as well from, uh, from Eric and Priscilla. I appreciate you guys leading us. And, and um, yeah, let's, yeah. Listen, church people are some of the most stiff people I know. So don't be, if you're churchy, uh, try, to, try to loosen up a little bit this, this morning. We want to have a good time. Listen, if you can't come to church and have a good time, I mean... Um, there's something wrong. So again, my name is Peyton, the, the lead pastor here at City Lights Church, and we are a, a new church that started back in September. And um, we always get asked a lot of questions about why do we meet in a high school and and uh, what does it mean to be a church plant? And to answer those questions, a, a church plant is something that you see in the New Testament that is um, it's a very common where a group of people go to a specific city and start a new church under the call or the leadership of a pastor, which I happen to be. And God began to rally this team around this vision. So if you see somebody wearing a gray t-shirt, maybe they set you this morning or hand out a connection card or, or told you where to park or they got a blue shirt on, they're watching your kids this morning. Um, we've got us putting together a great, great team. So we're just so encouraged about that. And, and we meet in a high school because we're okay with that. We feel like this is a neutral location. It takes pressure off for people who wouldn't walk into a traditional church building. And so I want you to know that we're, we're absolutely okay with, with meeting here in the high school. In fact, that we've locked it. We've got a great group of volunteers that come in every morning and set all this gear up. And what happens when, when I say amen around one thirty or 2? I'm kidding. <laughs> Everybody starts sweating down their face like, I knew I shouldn't have come here this morning. Um, they're going to tear it all down, and, and that's just what we do. And so we say this, don't judge us for how we do church. We won't judge you for being so judgy. Deal? Cool. So we are in this series. Today is the last part of it called Elephant in the Room, and we've been talking about those awkward truths that are very obvious but nobody wants to talk about. Um, probably just tooting my own horn a little bit, the, the favorite example I've given of what an elephant in the room situation is was when I was in the elementary school, I'm just a local guy, I went to North Elementary, uh, just right up the road from here. Um, I guess I was probably in second or third grade. I know this, this guy came and spoke um, in, the, in the gym there, and the whole school was there. And he was a, a bigger gentleman, and what I mean by that is he was tall, like, you know, six seven, six eight, and just, you know, just a massive, massive guy. And I'll never forget, he was wearing these, like, red suspenders, this some kind of flannel shirt and these these pants, and he gets up to speak in front of a couple hundred kids, and his zipper's unzipped. And it, you know, I remember in second or third grade thinking, "That's not cool, man. That's not cool that you're doing that." What's and nobody told him, you know. And it was just one of those elephant in the room situations where there was this obvious truth, but nobody's going to talk about it. And so that's what we're talking about: is these awkward truths that they're there, but for some reason the church doesn't want to talk about them because we're too stiff-necked and too religious and things like that. And things we've talked about have been abortion. We've talked about how do you know if you're really saved? I mean, what is, is, is it enough just to pray a prayer? Does that actually make you saved? What is salvation? And so what I want to encourage you to do if, is if you've missed a Sunday or here for the first time and you'd like to get caught up, you can always check out our messages at citylightsac.org. We do a podcast, or if you're an iTunes kind of person, you can search us on iTunes and listen to every message where uh, we record those live Every morning. So I'm going to be telling some jokes this morning. What I need you all to do, whether you like them or not, is laugh a little extra loud, okay? That way they can pick it up. And we can edit it out where I've told you all to do that. So just laugh. But we're in this last part of uh, Elephant in the Room, and we're talking about not so fast. And I'll explain that in just a minute. But I want to just kind of set the table for where we're going this morning. There's there's different types of messages. You guys are going to be like, why is he telling me this? But as a pastor, as a preacher, there's different types of messages you preach on. And what, what I mean by that is some are celebratory, like a wedding. 
it just, you know, great. You know, Easter's like that and, and Christmas. And, and last week we, uh, we talked about just casting vision. We talked about daddy's money, giving here. And we just, you know, it's just a great message. But then there are some that are a little bit more serious by their nature. And that's kind of what this morning's is. Um, as we're, we're really, the elephant in the room we're talking about this morning is, is suicide. It's suicide. And I want you to know this, that uh, there are people that attend this church who have had a family member who's committed suicide. So I, I want to be sensitive to the fact that you may know someone who's committed suicide. There may be someone listening to this message who has attempted it, or quite possibly you're listening to the message and you're thinking about it. And, and I want to just be honest with you. One of the things that, that I love about our church is that um, I feel like God has called us to be just an authentic group of people. Now you may say, well, every church is supposed to be that way, but every church is not that way. And we're not saying that we're better than any church, but what we're saying is we're going to be authentic. What I mean by that is we're just going to be transparent. What you see is what you get. We're not going to cover things. We're not going to, to mask things. And I want you to know that even um, myself, I've thought about suicide. Now, I've never attempted it. I've never, like, drove off to, you know, somewhere crazy and just say it like that. But there's been times where I've thought about it. Just, you know, what would it be like, you know, whether I'm in a tough situation in my life. And I want to make sure if we can all get on the same page here. If this morning you're going through things that only God knows about, whether you believe in him or not, you may be here this morning, you're skeptical about church and skeptical about God. But if you're here this morning and there's only secret, there's secrets in your heart that only God knows about, not even your spouse, not even your best friend, struggles you have faced, would you raise your hand? Just about everybody. And I want to be clear on this. Only God knows the struggles that people face. I mean, you may think you have an idea. You may think you understand, but at the end of the day, only God knows what a person's going through. Growing up, I was never really exposed to suicide. I didn't know anyone that committed suicide, no friends or family. I guess I suppose the first time that I really heard about it was probably in middle school or high school. And even at that point, I didn't really know anybody, but you begin to hear stories and certainly see it on TV. And I'll never forget the very first funeral um, after I was an ordained minister that I officiated was a guy I knew who had committed suicide. He hung himself in his living room. And you want to talk about a tough funeral to preach. Um, very tough. Maybe you grew up and you had a family member that committed suicide or you knew of a loved one or, or a classmate that committed suicide. And there's just this awkwardness to it and there's certain questions that revolve around it. And I think one of the most common questions that maybe doesn't verbally get asked, maybe in secrecy, is if someone commits suicide, do they go to hell? Specifically, if a Christian commits suicide, A, were they really saved? And two, do they go to hell? And those are the questions that we're going to answer this morning. And this is what we do at City Lots. We take Scripture, God's Word, and let it be our lens for how we determine how things should be. We are opposed to cultural opinions, and we just let God's Word answer it for us. So that's one of the things about us here. We wear flip-flops, we wear v-necks, we do lots, we do gym bays, we tell you where to sit, where to park, but we let God's Word determine the truth. So uh, just in case you were wondering, welcome to City Lights Church, and we're going to really dive into it this morning. I think when people say this... if someone's a Christian and they commit suicide, I think some, some thoughts are this. How could they do that? Hey, let's just be honest. Let's just take, uh, 
don't let this offend you, but let's just take Jesus out of the equation for a moment. Not that you really can, but for the sake of this conversation. If someone commits suicide, how could they do such a thing? How could they give up on life? How could they be so selfish? If it is a cross follower, I think a good thought would be, what was so bad that they didn't feel like there was hope in Christ? I think those are all things that we would think about. But probably the biggest question we ask, maybe you've wondered, is if someone's a Christian and they commit suicide, do they go to hell? To all these responses, I think it's legitimate for us to say, yeah, they would go to hell. Yeah, they've sinned. Is suicide a sin? Absolutely it is. We're going to talk about it this morning. He would say, well, maybe they weren't really saved or they didn't really know Jesus. And to that, I would just say, not so fast. Not so fast. Don't be so quick to judge based off an opinion you have. Based off an opinion you have, not so fast. Just kind of, kind of back up a moment. There are, as you read the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament, there are multiple accounts of suicide. Probably the most familiar, regardless if you read the Bible or even believe in Jesus, is, you know, a man named Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus, and he hung himself. He killed himself. You go back to the Old Testament, there's, there are many, many examples of, of, of suicide. And I want you to know this. The Bible never speaks profoundly. Let me say this. The, the Bible never speaks positively of suicide. It's always men who have, are in great pain, and they end their life with despair and disgrace. Are the suicide accounts you see in the Bible. Maybe... You're here this morning, like these men in the Bible whose lives didn't turn out like they thought it would, and your finances aren't what you thought they would be. Your relationship status isn't what you thought it would be. Your marriage isn't. Your life has just turned a a corner that you never saw coming, and it happens. You do know that, right? You get to places where you never thought you would be. And in those moments of despair is when we want to give up. It's what you see in the Bible when you read these, these men who have made these mistakes. Judas betrayed Jesus, swore he would never do it. And then we feel like giving up. But I would say just not so fast. Hang on there. In the Old Testament, I want us to read some scripture that you're probably familiar with if you grew up in church. Or maybe you've heard it and you couldn't even quote it, but you know that you've heard it. And I want it to parallel our, our, our time together this morning. I think it will be beneficial. I think it will be profitable. And I think that we will gain some, some understanding so whatever the case is this morning, many of you raised your hand and you said that you're, there's certain things you're going through. Maybe you know someone who's committed suicide. Maybe you're listening to this message, you're thinking about suicide. Maybe you know a loved one who's committed. Whatever the case, I want you to listen to what God says through Moses to the nation of Israel. Now, the nation of Israel, they've been held in captivity by the Egyptians. Many of you probably know that. They were there in slavery. And God sends a normal man named Moses You do know that God uses imperfect people to accomplish his perfect will, by the way. I'm glad for that. I'm glad for that. Listen to what God through Moses, he tells the nation of Israel, they've, this, is a, this is the context of what's happening. They've been slaved or they've been uh, saved from the Egyptians. They're now in the wilderness. They're trying to find the land of Canaan, or you may know it as the promised land, this land that God promised them. And so they've come out of slavery. They're in a bad spot. And listen to what Moses says. This is Deuteronomy 30, uh, chapter 30, verse 19. Today, anytime you see an underlined word, I need you to say it with me. Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life. 
so that you and your descendants might live. Here we see God through Moses pleading with this nation to clearly choose life. So when we say is suicide a sin, yes, because you're ending what God says to choose. I love here the language in the Hebrew where it says, oh, that you would choose. You imagine like the, those moments where you ever been just like, you know, so in love with someone and, or, or maybe you just this deep emotion for someone and you see them making a bad decision. You're just like, please don't do that. Don't go down that path. That's the emotion that's being brought forth here, that you would choose life so that your descendants would live. Now, obviously, he's talking to the nation there, and he knows for them to carry out that they're going to have to to choose life so that they're basically their lineage so their descendants can go on and carry their name. God has given us the freedom in him to choose life. You do know this, that today you woke up, and you have the ability through God's power to choose the life you want to live. Now, some would say this about God, and you get, this is when you get asked these questions about why would God let 9-11 happen? Why does God allow babies to, you know, to get murdered or to be aborted? Why does God do this? You know, we place this blame game, but also in God's sovereignty or what we would say in God's control, he allows us to make decisions. See, the same God that you want to blame for everything bad that happens, when you make a good choice, you want to say, look at me. God gives us the ability to have freedom. There's freedom in Christ. God is not a mechanical dictator up there doing this. He did not put you in your car this morning and, you know, I mean, you, let's, can we just be real and just take, like, not be super spiritual? How many of you chose to come to this church this morning? You chose. There's freedom. God says, choose life. I hear people say all the time, well, if God really loved me, he would do this. Or if God really, God really, well, you better be, careful saying what God really would do, first of all. But second of all, in regards to your problems or your issues, a newsflash could be if you want to find the solution or certainly where the problem started, go in your bathroom and look in the mirror. Right? You guys are stiff. Is it just me? Am I too serious this morning? I mean, I said we're going to be serious, but you can laugh in church. But it's the reality. God says to choose this life. So often the circumstances that we find ourselves in are in a result of the decisions we've made. He tells the nation, listen, you can make this choice, verse 20. Look what he says. You can make this, say it with me, choice to choose life. How to, how, so what does it mean to choose life? Look, by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to life. You want to know what it means to have joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, and faithfulness. It's planting yourself firmly in Jesus. How many of you in here, you can answer this, just, just do a self-inventory, don't answer it out loud. You would say, you know what it's like, you've, you've been that Christian, or you know someone, maybe that's why you're, you're mad at Christians, who they proclaim to be one thing and they are for a while, then something happens and they go this way. I've done it. Moses tells them, you've got to be firmly planted, firmly planted. God clearly gives us the choice, but he says to choose life. Now, let's be honest with you. Moses also tells them that you can choose blessings or curses. Sometimes blessings look like curses at times, right? So I, I, well, I want to say this, and listen, if you, like, if you grew up in church, what I'm fixing to say is going to, it's really, you're going to be like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. 
But God has something that we call his sovereign will. I'm like nervous. I almost feel like I should put trash bags on in case y'all start throwing tomatoes at me because you're being so quiet and so awkward. God has something called a sovereign will, and that means this. The the basic layman way to say it is what's going to happen is going to happen. Right? It's just, just going to happen. Then God also, God also has this thing called a permissive will. And a permissive will is basically like this. God's certainly into the details. You can read the book of law. You can read how Noah built the ark. I mean, he's into details in your life. But I don't suppose that God particularly cares if I drive a white truck or a black truck. Or if I drive a car or a Jeep. Now, I hear people, you know, listen and... and Great, you know, if you want to pray about what car you should drive. I think you should pray about everything. But God has this permissive will. It's just kind of like, there's freedom in me. You're able to make this choice. It's the same with our lives in this way. Many of us are praying for God's will to be known, right? Would you, we want to just know what God's will is. What if I told you that you open up the book of Genesis and look through Revelation, and if it's in there, you can go do it, instead of God just saying, you need to go do this? Let me just say this. I really felt like God put a desire in my heart to start a church, but God did not reach down from heaven and say, it needs to be Anderson County High School. So some of you are thinking, this ain't a real church then. Well, Define the term church in the New Testament, and you'll see that it's very close. God gives us the ability to choose certain things. So when you make a bad decision, you can't look up and say, oh, why, God? You can, but that's not really fair. To choose life, and also what, what Moses is saying here to the nation is this. And listen, this nation, they had been oppressed for hundreds of years by the Egyptians. Some of them would not even make it to the promised land. Some of you here this morning, you may not live to see grandkids born. You may not live to see kids graduate from school. Moses was telling this people to a group of people who would surely die before they reached the promised land. So we see here, choosing life is not about achieving certain things, but it's about chasing what God intended for us to have. In chapter 31, a little bit later, basically what's happening here is Moses is, he's stepping down. He's been leading the people. The scriptures say he's about 120 years old, and he tells the nation, hey, I'm not going to be the one that takes you to the promised land. However, there's a young buck stepping up named Joshua, and he's going to take you the rest of the way. So basically what Moses is doing is he's giving his last message to the nation of Israel. And he's telling them, choose life, choose life. And a little bit later in chapter 31, verse six, this is what he says to them. Look, he says, so, so be strong and courageous. You know, sometimes in life, you just gotta be strong and courageous. You just gotta keep going when it doesn't make sense. Look, he says, do not be afraid and do not panic before them. Here's what's happening. The Israelites, the nation of Israel, they had been freed from captivity. Now they're in the wilderness wandering. They can't find the promised land. And they know they've got to cross the Jordan River. But now they hear there's nations of people living across there. Let me say it like this. God's brought you out of a storm. You feel like you're in one. Before you get out of it, you see another one. I'm just preaching. He says, so be strong, 
Don't be afraid and do not panic before them. I love this. For the Lord your God will personally, will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail or abandon, or you may say like he will never leave you or forsake you. I've got a little three-year-old daughter and... Um, We've been taking her to the park lately. I've got a little three-month-old boy, too. I feel so, like, guilty when I just talk about one kid these days. Parents, you know, I always feel like I just have to mention both of them or God's going to be mad. Or I'm always worried, like, my wife's looking back there somewhere, like, you picking favorites. <laughs> so we take both of our kids to the park. But my three-year-old, she's in this stage where, like, she wants to go down slides, but sometimes she gets so nervous. Like, she'll climb all the way up there and, you know, and look down and be like, uh-uh. You know what I mean? She just won't do it. And then you can't talk her down, but then she won't go down it. So, you know, it's just one of those situations where we're there at the park. And so I'm her father. I love her. I want to protect her. I want to guide her. I want to teach her, just like God, your father, wants to do you. So what I'll do is, after I'm, you know, frustrated and been trying to talk her down for five minutes, I'll, I'll climb up that ladder, I'll scoot her to the side, and I'll say, watch Daddy go. And I go down it. And what I show her by going before her is that you can do this. It's going to be okay. What God is telling the nation of Israel is, listen, I'm going to go before you, and you can be assured it's going to be okay. This morning here, you're facing a problem. You're facing a situation. God's saying, listen, I'm already ahead of you. Matter of fact, I'm this way. I'm just trying to bring you on. I'm already up here. I've already got it cleared out of the way. I just need you to follow me. Amen? I mean, you're facing something. God's already gone before you. You ever stepped out in faith or maybe it was take a new job and you just you weren't sure what you were supposed to do or maybe it's go to school or, or make this big decision and you, you, you step over this line and, and it's like, whoa. God's like, I've been here waiting on you. I love it. He says, I will personally go before you. This morning, there, this is another reason that Moses says to choose life is because this, I know what it's like to lose hope. I know what it's like to lose hope. I know what it's like to be someone strung out on drugs and alcohol and running up and down Charles Sears Boulevard, raising hell like a rebellion and feel like there's no hope. And that's what makes me want to take another drink and take more drugs. But then I met this man named Jesus for the first time in my life. And what I realized is that he had gone before me and he had made a way. I'm just preaching if I can, okay? I'm just preaching. God would tell you, be strong and courageous. He says, choose life because I've already made the path for you. Proverbs says, a man chooses his path, but God really determines his steps. Right? See, you choose this path, but God has he's carved the way out. The, what's the old game you played in elementary school if you're older, Oregon Trail or something, that you know, really lame game-looking thing? or you get stuck in the ruts. Well, God's already determined your steps. Today, God is giving each of us the choice to live. God knows what it's like to lose hope. Surely, he sees us and he knows us. Clearly, like God told the Israelites, he's telling us daily to choose life because God has gone before us and made a way. And I'll be honest with you, that's really where faith comes in. In the New Testament, faith talks. we realize that faith is something that we live by. And in the book of James, he says, hey, listen, I want to be clear here that we're saved. Paul tells the church in Ephesus, the book of Ephesians, we are saved by grace through our faith. Then in the book of James, he says, hey, listen, faith is dead without works, right? Faith is dead without works. So don't tell me you're a Christ follower. I don't want to be that preacher, but don't tell me you love Jesus and your faith is stagnant. Faith is requiring action daily. 
Part of choosing life is having the faith that God is going to work it out when it doesn't make sense. We should choose life because God, for those of us who are in Christ, has gone before us to make a way. How many of you would say this? And just, we're just please be honest. You would say, my life has not been what I thought it was going to be. Maybe it's better than what I thought it was going to be. But today, God has worked things out for your good. You are okay. Because he's gone before you. He's gone before you. So what happens then, though, if we don't choose life? What, just like the Israelites, they were freed from captivity. Now they're in the wilderness wandering or the desert, and they're looking across the Jordan, and they're too scared to move forward. This morning, some of you, you have a Jordan River that you won't go across. It's doubt. It's fear. It's insecurity. What's your Jordan River? What's your Jordan River? So when we don't choose it, then is it a sin not to choose life? Absolutely it is. What about suicide? Does that impact our eternity? How does it impact it? The elephant in the room question that people want to know is, could someone really saved commit suicide? And you would say, well, I don't think they know Jesus. Again, I would say, not so fast. Don't you be so quick to judge somebody. Don't you be so quick to judge somebody. The Bible tells us the moment that we believe, that we commit ourselves through faith to Jesus, we are saved. Ephesians 2, eight tells us that we are saved by grace through faith, and this is God's gift to us so that we can't take credit for it. So what we see here is this. I, I, I mentioned this in our volunteer service, and I, I, said this, I say this a lot. You need to know this. If you're here and don't know Jesus, I'm so glad you came to this church. This is a safe place where you can worship. If you're skeptical of the church, this is a great place to be because we'll meet you where you are. There's no prerequisite to be a part of what we're doing. However, if you are in Christ, you must realize this, that on your best day, you do not wake up and decide to follow him without him first initiating love in you. Right? I mean, he came to the disciples and he said, follow me. But what we missed is that he first went to the disciples. This morning, today, listening to this message, you don't on your own just choose to to be with Jesus without him first initiating it with you. So, It is through faith, but it is God's gift of salvation. When you are a Christ follower who is saved, that is committed to Jesus, there is what we call eternal security in him. Listen to what Jesus said in the New Testament as he's talking to his disciples. This is John chapter 10, verse 28, in reference to eternal security. Jesus says, I give them, those who are in Christ, eternal life. They will never perish I love this. He says, no one can snatch them away from me. If you were raised in church or brought up in church, you may have heard something like this. Once saved, always saved. Jesus says, no one, I might add nothing, can snatch them, those of us who are in Christ, away from me. 29, look what he says. Look, for my Father has given them to me. Listen, salvation is from God. It's a gift to you. Look, and he is more powerful than anyone else. And again, he's like, hey, if you don't believe me, no one can snatch them from the Father's hand. Aren't you glad that salvation is not dependent upon humanity because we would surely lose it, but because it comes from divinity, it can never be lost. 
regardless of what you've done. Somebody needs to hear this today. You've screwed up, you've messed up, maybe you've doubted, and this is what I really love, and I hope this does step on somebody's toes and you leave with your toenails broken. You think just because you're not acting a certain way or doing certain behaviors, just because you don't take the drugs or drink the alcohol or look at pornography, you may work 40 or 50 hours a week, you may be a good provider, you may be a good wife, but if you're not seeking Jesus, you're just as filthy as everybody else. Thank God it is from him because it can never be lost. So, what about though, here's the tension. Some would say the Bible says that sin can't enter heaven, right? Sin. So then a thought comes to mind is this. If someone commits suicide, I want you to speak out loud here. How do we receive forgiveness? You ask for it, right? It's so funny when you get serious and you ask people questions because they're like, is this a trick or, you know. Now you ask for it, right? First John 1 John 1.9 says that God is faithful and just. Forgive us our sins. So you, what we call, we confess it. We confess those sins. So if sin can't enter heaven and suicide prevents someone to repent, or we would say confess our sins, then how can they go to heaven? Right? I mean, that's a legitimate question. Let me pose this one, though. If Jesus came back right this moment, is there unconfessed sin in your heart? What makes you think you'd go to heaven? Well, it's God's gift. See, when you say someone that sin can't enter or someone that commits suicide can't enter heaven, I would say not so fast. Because then what happens is that what you're doing, and you don't even know it is, you're becoming a religious legalist. You're practicing religion into legalism. And we would say this, if someone can't not confess that sin and get into heaven, then you don't even know it. And this may not make sense to some of you, but what you're, what you're saying there is it's based off of what we do, not who Jesus is. You with me? Some of you, some of you are like, no. But keep going. It's about what Jesus did on the cross, not about what you do today. Listen, it's about how Jesus hung on the cross for the sins of the world, not about how much you read your Bible. It's about how Jesus was bruised and crushed, and the Scriptures say it pleased the Father to do that, not about how much money you give in the offering plate. But all those things are a result that you've received what Jesus did on the cross. Saying that someone won't go to heaven... Because they committed suicide is religious legalism. Because you're basically promoting it takes good works to get there. The Apostle Paul, speaking about freedom from rules and the new life in Christ, listen to what he wrote to the church in, in Colossians. This is Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. Look, I love this. One of the men on my elder board, Pastor Bobby Williams, pastors of the Ridge Church in Oak Ridge. We love them. Hey, look, he said, you were dead because of your sins, Paul tells him. Newsflash, if you're in here this morning and you were in Christ, prior to you come to him, you were dead. Like there was no hope for you. That was it, kapoof. Paul says, look, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. I love this. Then God, who? Then you? Then your preacher? Then your Sunday school teacher? 
No, then God made you alive with Christ. Look at this. He forgave, say this with me, he forgave all our sins. You need to know this. When Jesus was on the cross, how many of you all were alive? No. Nobody. So if Jesus in that moment forgave all our sins, somebody needs to walk in this freedom, then that means he's forgiven what you've yet to do. He's forgiven how you'll fall tomorrow. He's forgiven the mistakes you'll make next year. He's forgiven all our sins. That's why we call it the completed work on the cross. Now, certainly, you should confess sins when you recognize it because what it does is it's just a barrier between you and God. It hinders you from coming to him. Unconfessed sin will keep your mouth shut. You won't share your faith. You won't feel like coming to God. But it says God made you alive because he forgave all our sins. That is freedom. A good friend of mine who was here last week, Derek Byers, he said this. When we sin, we can either fall in grace or we can fall in condemnation. John 3, 17 says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. This should be good news to somebody who's been walking dirty and you're feeling messed up this morning. God's already forgiven you of it a long, long time ago. Matter of fact, about 2,000 years ago. Listen how he finishes it up, verse 14. How did Jesus forgive us? He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. That is the good news. Many years ago, I was at a church that I served at and we were doing this thing where we had this special night of worship when we brought a a cross forward and we were putting nails in the cross and we'd written down these basically these things that we wanted God to just help us overcome if it was a hurt, a habit, or a hang up. We were wanting to hang that to the tree, the, the cross, and just nail it there and let God take it away. And I'll never forget the guy's name. I'd say it, but he may be listening to this podcast, but I know who it is and he knows who it is too. He said, Peyton, I just don't really feel right nailing that nail to the cross because it was the Jews and Romans that did it. And I told him, like I'd tell you, it might as well have been you because it was for you. You might, have well, you might as well put the nails through his hands. I'm just, listen, I've been spitting the past two weeks. I'm going to have to start getting one of those sprayers or something like that. It might as well have been you. It might as well have been. Listen, he canceled. What that means is there was a debt that you owed. There was this debt that we owed. You've heard it a thousand times. It's not original. But we could not pay it. Jesus paid the debt he did not owe. He's forgiven all our sins. Though all of our sins are already forgiven, God desires for us to choose life. So instead of judging someone for committing suicide, instead of looking at a family as if they've done something wrong or someone's made a mistake or they've got it so bad, maybe you should just think, today, God, I'm going to choose life. Listen, the reality is this. We all face these times in life where we don't want to continue on, where it would be easier to give up and just sit in a little couch, eat a bunch of junk food, get depressed, and wallow in it, right? Some of you like to do that. Some of you like to do that. If you've never thought about giving up on life, first you're a liar. You live in the neighborhood of Never Never Land, and your neighbors are unicorns and leprechauns, okay? We've all have felt like giving up at some point. So I want to answer this question. If someone commits suicide, will they go to hell? Only if they are not saved. And in that case, committing suicide only expedites the trip. If they aren't saved, then yes. All they've done is expedite that journey. So what about if they're saved? Can someone who really loves Jesus do such a thing? How many of you in here who are in Jesus, who are in Christ, have done things that you wish you wouldn't have? 
Amen. I'm so grateful for an honest church. This is what's going to set us apart in this city as we flip it for his glory. So let's answer this question then. What about someone who is saved? Well, instead of me answering it for you, we're a church who believes in the scripture. It would be okay if we just let God answer it for us. Romans chapter 8. And Paul saying to the church, to the people there in Roman, say the underlined word with me. And I'm convinced that nothing, aren't you glad, can ever separate us from God's love. What you did last week, what you do in that moment of secrecy when you think nobody sees, can't separate you. Look, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Somebody should just jump through the roof right then. Nothing can separate you. Verse 39. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, say it with me, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us. Why? Because God is the creator and he is over creation. From the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to say this. You should, from the beginning, we see in Deuteronomy, God telling through Moses to the nation of Israel, you must choose life because I've gone before you. I can work this out for your good. However, you need this security that when you fall and you make those mistakes that not even the powers of hell can separate you from his love. Why? Because it's not based off what you do. It's what he did on the cross. It's a gift from him. It's not your good works. Here's the bottom line this morning. Here is the bottom line. Just like our good works don't save us, neither can our sins separate us. Just like our good works can't save us, neither can our sins separate us. What I want you to know this morning is that God is for you. He's not against you. Some of you, you're living in fear. You're living in worry. Some of you are living in shame, and some of you are living in regret. And you're missing out on the life that God wants you to have. Now, I also want to say this. For those who have made mistakes and you've hurt people in the past, I'm not suggesting that you completely walk away from that because I believe the Bible calls for us to make amends when possible. But you can either fall into grace or you can fall into condemnation. You can choose life or you can choose death. You can choose blessings or you can choose curses. It is your choice because God's not a mechanical dictator. And when you fall, which you will, because we all fall short of God's glory, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? So those of you who would be thinking, man, I just feel like I should give up. It doesn't make sense to go on. I can't put another day forward. I can't fight another fight. I would say not so fast. Don't give up just yet. God is going before you to make a way. We do something here at City Lights that we call Reflection Time. And I want you just to hang with us a couple more minutes. And this is where basically we, we literally, we just reflect upon the message that we've heard, the experience today. Maybe somebody here this morning, you need to choose life. Maybe you need to choose spiritual life. Would you pray with me just a moment? God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, God, that you go before us. God, that when it seems there is no way, that you make a way. God, we thank you that you give us freedom to fall and make mistakes, that we can learn to trust you and 
that God, when we step out in faith, we, we often see that you've already gone before us to make a way. This morning, there are those of us in here, God, who are, who are listening. We, we, we've heard the message and we want to give up. Or we've, we've thought about giving up. There are others of us in here, God, who are on fire for life. And we just want to give you glory for those of us who feel like giving up. God, would you just now speak to our hearts? And just even prove yourself, God, not that you have to, but out of your grace that you would reach down from heaven and speak into us. God, should there be a person in here that doesn't know you, maybe their decision is to to choose spiritual life in you. God, there are so many things in this life that we don't understand, but we trust that you are the creator of all. It's in Jesus' name. Hey, if you would, just for a couple more moments, just stand as, as Priscilla and Eric lead us in this last song. Let's just take a moment to reflect upon about choosing life.
climb this mountain with my hands wide open I will climb this mountain with my hands wide open I will climb this mountain with my hands wide God spoke this morning. Can we just celebrate that?